Um, but the first thing that it does to him, so, so really when, <coughs> when he says move with godly fear, it's the same thing as faith. But what it does is he prepares. He prepares an ark. Now, the, the great thing is, again, all these, all these stories are, are defining what that verse 1 is all about. So in verse 7, it begins, divinely warned of things not yet seen. Now, Noah is the example par excellence of doing things even though he can't see. So, what does Noah do and why is it weird? <laughs> oh yeah. There, there, there might be a little Hollywood in there, you know. Um, however, uh, yeah, clearly the people knew of water, right? But this was not a boat to, you know, tra traverse a small body of water, right? I mean, it wasn't like he was building a skiff or a, even a fishing boat, right? Maybe they would be like, oh yeah, all right, Noah's going out to fish. He built a boat that could contain two of every animal. I mean, again, you know, whatever a cubit is, we sort of know. But, you know, if you've ever been to the, uh, where is the ark now that they built the replica of it? Is it Tennessee or Kentucky or whatever? So, I mean, this thing, it's fantastic. You go, just go see it. I mean, you know, it, it's truly amazing how large this thing is. So, yeah, its weirdness is that he's building in the middle of, it, there's no water around there. I mean, again, maybe there's a lake. You know, but you don't just build an ocean-going vessel in your backyard, right? Um, so this is the definition of doing something that looks like absolute foolishness to the world. And he had to rely completely on God's word. And it wasn't a weekend project. It was like <laughs> years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, and, and who, this, yeah, you're right. And, and so, and that's the thing too, is this was not God just, you know, one year he builds the ark, next year flood comes, right? So, so then notice what, it, what it's doing. So he prepared an ark and, and notice that faith then is paying attention to the things that were set. So we already talked about this, but faith, being divinely warned. What does it mean to be divinely warned? God told you. That's right. Divinity is God, right? So God told him, and what does faith do? I'm going to build an ark, right? Um, so what, what would that look like for us? What has God divinely warned us is going to happen, and how can we prepare for it? Yeah, okay, the second coming, judgment day is coming, right? And how do we prepare? Yeah. What? Gather. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you get, we gather together, right? We gather people so that they can help through Jesus so they can be saved. That's right, that's right, yeah. So, uh, and, and so, but it's not just any gathering, right? So, I mean, if we gathered a bunch of people together, it wouldn't do much. How do those people then, how would they prepare? Through their faith. Through the word, through the object of their faith. You see, that's right, yeah. So, they, so the, the way that they prepare now is the way Jesus told them to. Therefore, go, make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them to keep, obey all the things I have commanded them. What did Jesus command? 
Lord's Supper to receive his preaching. That's what saves us now. And so if we want to prepare for the last day, then we do what the book of Hebrews has told us to do in chapter 2. Give greater heed to the things we have heard. Right, so we are doing what Noah does. And that's, again, you know, I, I, I probably brought this up a million times by now, but that's why it looks so weird that we would gather, even though uh, we are threatened with sickness or whatever it might be. You know, th this, these past two years it was COVID, but I'm sure that, you know, in the next three years it will be, you know, some other reason or excuse, right? Russia, right? Um, but nothing then should keep us away. No ridicule, no people who are trying to hinder us. And I don't know why it took him 100 years to build the ark, but maybe it was because supply chains got cut off because they were mocking him. Who knows? I mean, who knows what, what he endured? No, we're not going to give you any more gopher wood, you know? Um, but all those things did not hinder him. He built an ark. And ultimately, that's why our, the name of our church building is named after the ark, right? The name. I mean, this is what we do. We're in the boat. All right, so this is what he's doing. This is what we do. Uh, and this is the thing, too. He prepares the ark. Who is he saving? Yeah. It's not just him. Yeah. But Peter also calls Noah the preacher of righteousness. Yeah. So while he's building and being mocked, we can imagine that he's calling people to repentance, too. And when he says he's, it, it's, it's an amazing thing in the text that it says that he condemned the world with the ark because it was the one means of salvation. And, and he was calling them to repentance and they would not repent, which is like the days of Noah, as Jesus says, the church would be calling people to repent and being mocked for That's right. <clears throat> so he prepares an ark. We meet together. Right? That's what we're doing. That's what we're preparing. And we keep on talking about all this sin stuff, right? Oh, you poor, miserable sin. You really have to say that every Sunday? Yes! Because you sinned last week. And you probably sinned today. And therefore, we need Jesus. Okay? Uh, by which... So, and this is what his faith does. It condemns the world and becomes an heir. So he condemned the world. Uh, he condemned the world because by building an ark... He was affirming what God had said about the world. Why was God sending the flood? Well, well, that's not that wasn't the cause of it. You're right. That's what he did for for uh, for Noah. But why is it that he sent the flood to begin with? Sin, because the heart of man is evil, even at his youth, and always everything and every thought. So he sent the flood in because everyone was evil. And so building an ark is a condemnation of them. You're evil. Right? And that's why the church looks like we're a bunch of haters. Because they're right. We're saying they're sinners. I mean, we say we're sinners too, but they ignore that. <laughs> right? Um, so, yeah, we condemn the world, including us. Because we do not deserve it. And neither did... did uh, Noah, and yet he became an heir of righteousness. And this is the greatest thing, and it's at the end. He became an heir of righteousness, how? According to faith. That's how he inherited it. 
Simply because God had mercy on him. Because he trusted his promises. It wasn't because he was a really great man. It did great things. But it was according to faith. Um, all right. I, okay, and this heir is going to be uh, sort of handed down. Um, being an heir means what? Yeah, you have an inheritance, which means what are you connected to? The person who has all the money, right? Somehow you're connected by blood to the person who has all the money. So that heir language is going to be then what, Mo, what Moses, what, it's, that's coming, what Noah gives then to all of his people. Now, the other thing about Noah is what happens after the flood? Who is there on earth? Just he and his three sons. So what faith is there on earth? It's only the Christian faith on earth. What, what, what faith was there at the time of Adam? There's only one Christian church. And Cain and Abel were part of it. They knew the only true God, and of course God condemned Abel, or sorry, Cain because of what he did. But now we're back down to, boom, one family, all the earth is Christian. And so don't ever think that, you know, the argument, well, you know, no one ever got a chance because, you know, they never heard the gospel. Well, it's been narrowed down two times in history, uh, therefore everyone's got a chance. Okay. All right. So an heir. So he is receiving something that he is connected to by family. Okay, now we jump to Abraham, which is uh, the next story then in the Old Testament. So again, we're going through uh, Genesis right now. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. So there we get that inheritance language. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. <laughs> All right. Um, how many family vacations have you planned? <laughs> All right, is it a good idea to leave before you know where you're going? <laughs> no, right? So it's sort of, I, I mean, you, you husbands, you know, if you present this to your wives, all right, uh, we're, we're going to head out. But where do we go? I don't know. But we're going somewhere. But what do we have to bring? Everything. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> but that's what they did. In the same way that Noah is building this ark, <laughs> Abraham leaves with everything. It's not like he, he kept like one suitcase. Oh, I'll be back, you know. God did not say he would return. And so he goes with everything. Again, this is the preparation. Faith is, this is the evidence of things not seen. The ark is evidence. Abraham traveling, not having a clue where he's going, with all of his stuff, is evidence of the things not seen. Us showing up here on Sunday and doing some of the most boring things that you know our, our at least our worldly ears can hear, um, in the sense that we're just hearing talking, right? We're just hearing words, and yet we know that that's a preparation. For the second coming of Jesus. All right, so uh, he didn't know where he was going. Uh, now, again, the the 
what faith is doing is it's causing Abraham to obey. So that then is the, the element of faith here. We obey the Lord. And this makes sense when you look at Paul. In the book of Romans, chapter 1, Paul says, We have proclaimed and brought about obedience among the Gentiles. So to obey God, it means to have faith. But of course, it's, it's naming faith by its fruit. So obedience is the fruit of faith. All right, verse 9. By faith, Abraham, he, dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. All right, so you'd, you would hope that it would end. You know, like, all right, all right I trust you, we're going to go out, and God's going to tell us, fine. They never arrived. Their whole they never arrived at where they were going to end up. There was, they didn't get to the promised land. Not the one that he was hoping for, maybe. But we know that Abraham was not looking for somewhere on earth. He knew that God was going to supply him and that he would dwell in the land of promise as in a foreign country. So, um, faith dwelling. What does this teach us about faith? That it, it doesn't only obey, but it also dwells. What, what does that mean about faith? That it's going to sit there and it's going to dwell somewhere. What does that mean? It's going to live. And it's going to live in what? In a land that's promised to us as if it's a foreign country. So as Christians, what do we know about this earth? Yeah, it's temporary. And what will happen at the end? Well, that's true. But there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And he will own the land. It is promised to us. It is ours in the sense that it is God's. So it is the land of promise. But we're going to dwell here as if we are not known. Uh, and again, this is a hard thing. And it's a very humbling thing. Uh, and it should teach us that, uh, again, to dwell in a tent. Uh, does anyone go camping? Okay. All right. So uh, camping is nice, except when you get to the end. <laughs> because you're finally ready to be somewhere that's what? That's permanent. Right? You want somewhere that has foundations. And that, you know, you're not worried about it blowing over in the wind. Or being freezing cold, right? Or being wet. But this, is, this was his life. As he dwelled in a tent his entire life. You know, oftentimes, and, and again, this is, uh, the American dream sometimes is the biggest deception to us. To have land and to have a place to stay in America can cause us to have hopes that are not from God. God did not promise that you would have land here. Nor did he promise that you would have a permanent dwelling here. Abraham didn't have one. And he was not harmed by it. So even if we were dwelling in tents for our entire life, never having a place to stay, or in today's lingo, being a refugee, that would be perfectly fitting. We would not need a permanent residence. It would not mean that God had abandoned us or that somehow God didn't fulfill his promise. 
And this is a great comfort to all those who are now becoming refugees because this is not their home. Never was because of sin. So we have to keep that in mind that our houses that we dwell in will go away. They're not going to stay. And Abraham had a great benefit in his tent because what did it teach him? Yeah, he had to constantly rely on God. I, from, from year to year, sometimes day to day, dwelling in his tent, he had no permanent residence. And it was good for him. It was a good training in the faith. Yeah. Um, my ancestors came to America. They found some nice land that reminded them of the outside of Southport, Pennsylvania, on the Delaware River. And uh, the one thing they did do, though, to make it easier for God to find their ancestors is that they created a cemetery for the family. And it's been used over, over the centuries. And uh, but, uh, I'm reminded that Abraham bought a plot of land. I think it was in Canada. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. Kind of interesting. So, yeah. And as far as house permanency, I, I, I think I've lived in what, one, two, I lived in uh, three homes in New Jersey. Two of them have been torn down. That's right. So. Yeah. A good reminder. <laughs> so in, in verse 10 then really brings it all together. For he... Abraham waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now that is a strange thing to say. What city does God make? Heaven. This is the city of God, the new Jerusalem. Right, we, we hear about this constantly in the book of Revelation. What? He was a carpenter. I was saying. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, although, to be fair, I mean, we, we can't say it had no meaning. So I, we'll, we'll explore the carpentry later, Bruce. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's waiting for this city that has foundations. And again, faith in its activity is waiting. Right? Faith waits. And there's so many psalms that talk about this. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. That's right. All right, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So, this is one thing that I don't think we always have to connect with faith. Receiving strength to conceive. Now again, Sarah is, at this point, even in their years, an old woman. And could you imagine having a child, having to chase that child around? And yet that is what the Lord gave. Um... <clears throat> Again, all of these things then are pointing to Christ. So we, we must remember that being an heir means also having a family. So sometimes, again, you, you have to love how our Lord teaches us. He tells us, oh yes, it's going to be a land. But now he says, well, now there's going to be children. So he's connected now with family. So it's not just a promise of land. 
It's not like, well, you know, you guys are really great and why don't you have a nice place to stay? There, there's family involved here. You're going to be born. And you did receive conception. Where did you, where were you conceived in the kingdom of God? In your baptism. This is baptism. You did receive the power. Uh, the church has received the power to conceive you. Because the church, as the bride of Christ, receives his word, which is able to give you a new birth of water and spirit. So it receives strength to conceive. Um, verse 12, uh, therefore from one man and him as good as dead. So this is the other thing is God brings life from what? Death. And new life, right? Life that is unexpected. Now, of course, Sarah also is a figure of who, who also receives the power to conceive? Mary, right? Again, all these things. Today, Jesus said it very clearly. He sums everything up. All the prophets are completed in Jesus. So all the things they said are completed in him. Every activity of the Old Testament was meant to point to Jesus. There would come a son who would be conceived from a womb that had no seed of man. And yet, he came. Um, and again, uh, going back to the visible and invisible, I reason told Abraham and Sarah... And it was so strong in them. What did they do before this? What did Abraham and Sarah do based on reason before this? What? Yeah. They, they tried to do it themselves. Well, let's get Hagar. And of course, Abraham. Oh, I guess so. All right. <laughs> I mean, come on. So, so this then, uh, we stumble in, in faith when we use our reason instead of God's word. God did not say, Abraham, go get your servant. God said she would bear a seed. And Sarah, even after this, what did she do? She laughed. She still laughs. And to be fair, uh, if you ladies here, you know, God came, you know, and, uh, and if you're past childbearing age, if God came to you and said, okay, be prepared, next year you're going to have a son. Some of you might laugh. Or cry. Huh? Or cry. <laughs> but, but the emphasis is that faith, faith sees it all the same. And because she saw it, she had it even before she had it. She had a son even before she had a son because she trusted God's word. We have resurrection even before we're resurrected because God's word is sure and certain. Okay, so we have family, we have seeing things not seen, and we have heirs, all right? Uh, verse 13. Now, now, this is sort of an interruption in the, the chain of people, and it's a good one. Because at this point, we may be wondering, well, what in the world are they supposed to be receiving? All these people are dead now, right? And they still apparently haven't received what they're supposed to. So verse 13, these all died in faith, 
not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. What is the promise that they received? Yes, eternal life. But eternal life is actually the, the cause. Well, it's the result of this. Right? But it's not, it's not actually the cause. What was the cause of their salvation? Jesus. Jesus. He were promised Jesus. Now, how, in, how was Abel promised Jesus? Yeah, how did Adam and Eve then teach Abel? What did they teach him? Yes, what was the promise? Yes, that one from a seed of a woman would come and would crush Satan's head. And they knew that this was giving them forgiveness of sins. Because that is how God would restore them. So Abel, seeing Jesus far off, believed in him. And it was pleasing to God. And then you had Enoch, believing the same thing, to the point where he walked with God and was no more. He was taken away and did not see death. You have Noah, seeing from afar, not just that God was bringing judgment on the world, but that he was preserving the seed of a woman, even in him, that would come. And that was what he trusted in. And finally, Abraham. So none of them have then yet been fulfilled until, and we'll get this at the end, until Jesus. So they didn't receive the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. And they embraced them and confessed them. So here's then what faith is doing. It is not yet receiving the promise, but seeing it from afar off, being assured, embracing it, and confessing it. And that's what we do. What is the promise that we have, that we see from afar off, but we confess it? Yeah. That Christ is coming again to make all things new because of what he has done for us in his death and resurrection. So we then, too, look forward. We have an assurance of things to come. And we then are taking these examples and should use them to do the same things. We're learning what faith does. How have we not received the promise yet? We're still here, yeah. We're still suffering. We still have pain. We still have sin. We have not yet received the promise. But it is a promise and we trust in it because the promise gives what it says. And also, uh, we see from afar off, we embrace, how do they embrace it? How do they embrace the promise afar off? How did Noah embrace the promise from afar off? That's right. He swung a hammer, right? Yeah. It, it, shaped, it shaped his whole life. It shaped everything that he did. It, to embrace it is to embrace with the heart. You don't embrace. You embrace children. You embrace your loved ones. 
and you embrace Jesus, and also to confess it. We have been called on, especially now, to confess what we believe. Faith confesses. So how do we confess this in our time? Yeah, that's one way, by talking to people about Jesus. And that means in all of your vocations. You, know, you, uh, you then are the salt and the light. And you go out, and in every place you are, that light is shining. And the salt is preserving. But if you lose your saltiness, what does that mean to lose your saltiness then? Well, yes, but, but your faith, the reason why your faith made you salty is because why? Yeah, because you, you had Jesus. And you proclaimed him. That's the salt that actually gets into other people. Okay, so this is what faith does. These are all things that faith is doing in us. It's confessing. And, and this is what it confessed. They were strangers and pilgrims on earth. And again, uh, we don't want to be this. Well, I shouldn't say that. Our flesh does not want to be a stranger. And our flesh does not want to be a pilgrim. And so what happens then uh, when uh, people treat us like strangers and pilgrims? What do we want to do? We want to fight, right? No, this is my, this is my home country. This is my land. But what does God tell us? We're yeah. It's like a hotel. You know? Okay, you know, I, I, I lodge here briefly. This is not my home. And this allows everyone to take everything from us and we can say, what of it? Well, okay. It wasn't mine to begin with, so I guess it's yours now. All right, so verse 14. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Okay, now this is, this is important for us to remember. Um, what, what is faith doing here in this verse? Seeking. Yeah, oh yeah, that's true, seeking. But what does it do first? It, yeah, it, it speaks. Faith speaks. And, and the amazing thing is you don't actually hear too much of them talking, right? When you look at Abraham and you look at Noah, but clearly he's, like Pastor Basie said earlier, he's preaching righteousness. And how we are speaking then is both by what we're saying and what we're doing. Uh, and of course, yes, someone answered also, they seek a homeland. Okay. Um, verse 15. And truly... If they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Okay, so what is the answer to um, where, where is Abraham's promised land? Yeah, it's not Israel now, and, and it's not the country. It's not as if we all should supplant ourselves and go to Israel or try to replant the nation of Israel. Many have tried this, and it's untrue. 
Because this is the point. Not to go back. Our point is not that there is some land on earth that we must claim. Uh, this is why every time you hear maybe, you know, that someone has found the Garden of Eden, uh, you, can, you can just say, so what? <laughs> it's not the Garden of Eden anymore, let me tell you. Because that's not our country. The moment sin entered the world is the moment that all things were broken, including all creation. That's why it groans with us, to be renewed with us. So, uh, going to their desire. Now, if we're looking at Abraham, he is desiring a better country. Um, and he knew even then that no matter how long he stayed in the land of Canaan, that would not be enough. That would not be the place. So he planned for his death because he knew that that's the only way he was going to get there. Uh, and this is great at the end. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Now that's, you know, many times we pass over these things, but what is he saying? That God's not ashamed to be called their God. Why would he be, first of all, why would he be ashamed to be called their God? Yeah, that's one thing. If they were bad people, right. Or, or if they did not deserve his love. Yeah. That's one. Why else might it be shameful that they would be called his people? Why would it be a shame to God that they would be called his people? Think more directly about the text. Unbelievers, Unbelievers maybe, yeah. Did, did they get the things that they were promised? Not yet. And so if he was their God, isn't he able to give them those things? Isn't he able to bring this about? And this, this then is the mockery of the world, right? Well, if your God is so great, why are you sick? Why are you poor? Why are you suffering? Why are you doing this? And then you might say, well, you know, it, God would be ashamed to be our God because it would show that he wasn't God or that he wasn't able to do what he said. But he's not ashamed of them, meaning that he is able to do and will do what he said, but not yet, right? Because otherwise... And this happens many times in the Old Testament where he says, uh, do not let them destroy us. Why? Why did, why did uh, it, sorry, Moses, why did Moses say, don't let them destroy us? What was his point? For the, sake for the sake of your promise? For the sake of your name. What would it look like, Lord, to let us die out here? What, what kind of witness is that going to be to the world that we all die? Yeah. That's what the world is saying to us. God has given up on you. Hmm. That's right, yeah. Yeah, God has given up on you, or uh, you, you foolish Christians, clearly if God loved you, he would do such and such for you, right? Said it to Jesus. Yeah, that's right. That's the temptation of, uh, of the devil. So, uh, faith then, what is it doing? It's desiring what? What is it desiring in this verse? Well, yeah, that's, that's first, yeah. God would not be ashamed of us. But what else does it desire? Yeah. That he would fulfill the promises. Yeah, that he'd give what he said. And what does he promise then in this verse? A, a heavenly country. That we do have a country. We do belong somewhere. And that is a great help to us. And this is why he's going through this list of people, because these are our people. Noah's our people. 
And so is Abraham, so is Isaac, so is Abel. There are people. And, and, we, and so we're beginning to understand our family history. What does it look like to have a land that is passed down that we can't see? What does it look like? And we're getting an example of what it looks like. How our fathers have acted and how we then can see what it looks like to be in faith. All right. Um, and, and again, sometimes we forget what faith does. Faith is a desire. And it's a good way to check yourself. What do you desire? And to ask yourself that question. Because here it's very specific. You should desire the city of God. You should desire the heavenly country. And that then should help us to see our old man. Because what does he desire? What? Pleasure. Yeah, stuff. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm just reminded of a story. Um, years ago, I heard a preacher say that he just started out in the ministry. He went to a convalescent home and started to, and was following up on the old pastors, I guess, you know, visitors. And um, he has to say, well, I'm here to pray for you. And she says, no. He said, uh, would you like somebody else to pray for you? She said, no. Last time, Pastor So-and-so prayed for me, I was here. This time, I'm so close to heaven, I could hear the angels singing. <laughs> to me, that's like, wow, that's a lot of faith. Right? I don't even want to get wild. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Yeah, exactly, right? And, and so that we would not then, you know, desire the, this country. This is not our home. And that's a good thing, because if this country was our home, what would that mean? Yeah, we are going to be destroyed. Just like Noah was saying, well, you like this country, wait for what's coming. <laughs> right? But we have a better country. All right, so um, verse 17. So we'll finish up with uh, Abraham here. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up, he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which, all, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Now this is one of the, you know, this story, it, it, it causes us some issues. Um, why is it troubling what God asked Abraham to do? Yeah, infanticide, right? Uh, God is asking me to kill my child. And, and just on its base level, you know, we think, why did Abraham do it? Faith. Faith. He offered up his son. Now, uh, if we believe in God, what will we also be willing to do? Offer up all things to him. Even if it's our children. Now, of course, Jesus puts this a different way. We will be offered to death by our own household for holding on to the faith. Father will be against... Uh, sorry, sons, sons-in-law will be against fathers, and uh, we, our family will be those who are against us and persecute us. Um... 
But here we see uh, a better picture. Because Abraham's not just offering Isaac up because uh, you know, he's trying to get out of something. Uh, this is God portraying to us the ultimate picture of what he is about to do. In the Old Testament, God slowly reveals in more and more clarity who Jesus is. He's the son of the promise. He came from Sarah, and he shouldn't have come from her because her womb was dead. And yet, out of the womb that should not have been, Isaac came. And now this son of the promise, by whom all the seed were to be named, needs to die. And the father will offer him up. This is one of the clearest pictures in the Old Testament of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we have here that Abraham is showing us what our faith is in. A God who would give up a promised son for the sake of all. Now we offer up not Isaac, but of course ourselves. But really, we're, we're offering up something better. What do we offer to God? What can save us? What? Jesus. Jesus, the promised son. So we do not offer up Isaac, but instead we offer up Jesus. The promised son come for us, and he is able then to save us. But also we get the picture of the resurrection here. Verse 18, And Isaac your seed shall be called, 19, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead. So we have here the promised son being killed, and yet knowing that he will be raised from the dead. Again, Jesus said it today. This has been prophesied in all the Old Testament. He must die and rise from the dead. Uh, and in this promise then, uh, he concludes this section, um, but knowing that this is what will happen. A promised one will come. And Abraham knew this promise. Abraham knew that the seed would come, and then maybe this was it. Maybe this was the one. And this is how God would bring it about. That's what Eve thought when Cain was born. Ah, I have begotten a man, the Lord. Now she was wrong. And Abraham too. But their promise was in the right place. They knew that a son would come, be born of a woman, and would conquer death. And that God would do it. But they also knew that, that, that Satan would bruise his heel. They knew he would die. They knew it would cause him pain. So again, Abraham, clinging to the promise, offered his son, thinking, yes, this must be it, and I will receive him back if the Lord wills. So, faith goes bravely into death, knowing that God is able to raise from the dead. Yeah? Uh, yeah, uh, the thing is, uh, this is uh, oh yeah, um, if, if he's in a man who didn't believe the promise, but believed in the primogeniture of the firstborn, etc., he wouldn't have offered the promise. So I can't do that. Uh-huh. But see, the Lord knew Abraham's fine. And so he offered him up, and like you say, that was the point in the scripture, or they say that Abraham, well, maybe, maybe this is the time. And this is the sacrifice. 
document. Um, but not the Lord knows his face, but no. It's this, this is to show the world what you're saying, the time is what's going on. That's right. Yeah. I mean, the Jews thought that Jesus was the king of Israel. They didn't think that he was, he was the king of everything, the king of all spirits. And you know, you ask when you talk about our home, and we're out in heaven's our home. The Christian seeks God's spirit, basically the back of God again. God is a spirit. Um, all this fleshly stuff we see in the war in Ukraine, between Ukraine and Russia, going on right now, the conflict. You see two countries, Christian, Orthodox, of the same race, yet they're still in civil war in themselves, killing themselves. This world is full of death and destruction. We seek the peace of the Lord and the spirit of the human Right. Well, and but we, we also must remember that this is this is uh, this should militate against every form of thinking that our bodies will not be in heaven. Because what was Abraham's hope that even if Isaac died, what would happen? He would rise from the dead, so that we will be with Christ not as souls only, but what? As a person. Human beings are a body and a soul, and they are not fully human without that. And Jesus is God and man, and he is no longer God without being God and man, because that's the identity of Jesus. So, uh, these are the things that faith does. We desire a heavenly home, and it allows us then to remember that we have now the things that are going to be given to us by faith. Now, of course, it's a frustrating thing. How often did Abraham, you know, going into different lands, uh, tell people, oh, she's not my wife. <laughs> uh, in fear or in some other uh, emotion. Um, and we have Noah getting drunk after he gets off the ark, right? Um, and yet they still clung by faith. They still clung by faith to Jesus. So this then should shape us. We should know that faith is not simply some head knowledge, but that it pours forth in desire and it shapes our whole life. Whether it's Noah building the ark or Abraham wandering in the wilderness. You know, we are in a wilderness and though we are not in tents and we are in houses, we still look for a heavenly home. So let this... Uh, shape then how we act as Christians. All right, well, let's close with prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Heavenly Father, it is difficult for our flesh to know that it must die and that we must be made new. And yet, as you have made us new through your Holy Spirit, O Lord, help us to live in the Spirit, knowing that we will rise again without sin, that our heavenly home is with you, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <laughs>